This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 154 of the Catholic Foodie, Braised Cabbage with Beer and Creole Mustard. Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today we're talking about cabbage. And this, believe it or not, is a meatless dish. And uh, I know we're not in Lent yet. Lent is just uh, about a week away. However, for some reason, and I don't know why, I've got cabbage on the brain. (laughs) I guess it's because this is cabbage season. You know, cabbage uh, season is really all throughout Lent, and uh, it's plentiful. It's inexpensive. And uh, you know what? It's pretty darn tasty, too. So we're going to talk cabbage today. I'm going to give you a special recipe. Got some feedback, too, so stick around right here at the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. That's right. I've actually got two pieces of feedback to share with you today. I've got two uh, calls that came in, and uh, I'm excited to share that with you. You know, I love getting feedback. And uh, if you ever want uh, to call in, if you have a question for the Catholic Foodie, you have whether it's about a recipe or, or some sort of a Catholic food tradition type thing or maybe even a question of, about food in the Bible or food in theology or, I don't know, you just want to call and say hi and, and, and tell me what you're cooking tonight. I don't, I don't care. Whatever it is, I love getting feedback. That's, uh, that's just a, a fantastic thing. I really enjoy it, and I love being able to play your feedback here on the show. So if you ever want to call in, the, the voice feedback line is 985-635. 4974-985-635-4974, or you can always just record a, an MP3 file on your uh, iPhone or Android or uh, on your computer and uh, send that to me via email. Uh, my email address is jeff at catholicfoodie.com. All right, so today we're talking about cabbage, not just cabbage, but braised cabbage. It's quick, easy, and delicious. And uh, we're doing that today, even though today is Friday, but it's not a Friday in Lent yet. We are still in carnival season. Matter of fact, the, uh, the, the, the festivities really kick off this weekend. This is the big, for, for us at least, the really big parade weekend. You know, you have Endymion, uh, the crew of Endymion rolls on Saturday night. You've got Toth and Bacchus. We always go to Toth and Bacchus on Sunday. And uh, Monday is Orpheus. We go to uh, the Orpheus Parade that was started by Harry Connick Jr. a number of years back. And uh, then, of course, Tuesday is Fat Tuesday. It is Mardi Gras. And uh, we have Zulu and Rex that roll in the morning. Now, we've got bad weather coming this way, so I'm not sure if we're going to um, make it on Tuesday morning. Uh, We also have friends here close to home who have a big party every, uh, at least the last several years, they've had this big party. A bunch of families get together, and they have a big pig roast on Mardi Gras Day, a couchon de lait, we call it, and uh, they invite all their friends, and and tons of families are there. It was probably 100, 120 people at this big party. And there's a little bitty, teeny, tiny parade that rolls in Covington <laughs> on uh, Mardi Gras Day. So it's it's not anything, I think, to compare with what you see in in New Orleans, but when you have a big party, bunch of people, bunch of family, friends together, um, having a pig roast, and then the parade is, is just right down the street. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. It's great to be with people. Great to be with those people, friends and, and family. So uh, that is coming up uh, this weekend. You know, uh, it's terrible when you have rain that um, threatens at least to uh, impact your Mardi Gras uh, parades. That, you know, it only happens once a year. 
And so it's just never never a fun thing when, when uh, at least there's a chance that the parades could get canceled. But uh, apparently that's the case for the next uh, few days. Anyway, I will have a video. I'm going to shoot video at the parades. And I will have some uh, video posted over at CatholicFoodie.com. So if you have never been to Mardi Gras before, or if you have been, it's been a long time, and you want to uh, refresh in your memory of what those parades look like, we will have video uh, for your enjoyment over at CatholicFoodie.com. I'm going to put a post there that's going to be highlights of Mardi Gras 2013. And uh, as the weekend goes on with whatever parades we go to, I'm going to shoot some clips, some video clips, and I'll post them as I can. So I'm going to constantly update that um, that post, at least through Tuesday. After that, it's it's over, because then we're going to be in Lent. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, a day of fasting and abstinence. And then, of course, all the Fridays in Lent are days of abstinence. That's why I wanted to give you a head start here with a recipe for braised cabbage. Now, even though it's not Lent yet, and it is Friday, you know, there, there's something that uh, I wanted to, to share with you. You know, recently, I guess this was back in December, no, November, it was in November, if I'm not mistaken, the U.S. bishops uh, launched a five-part pastoral strategy to renew our culture through prayer, penance, and sacrifice. Uh, they've approved a, a pastoral strategy to advance a movement for life, marriage, and religious liberty. And it's essentially a call to prayer, to penance, and to sacrifice for the sake of renewing a culture of life, of marriage, and religious liberty in our country. So you, you might start seeing more vegetarian dishes on Friday, on Fridays throughout the year here at the Catholic Foodie, like this braised cabbage, for instance. Now, I have to say that, um, you know, what we tend to think, and I know I'm, I'm the same way, this is how, I, in my mind at least, uh, used to be, long time ago, uh, throughout the year, uh, Fridays were days of abstinence. And that changed a while back. Now, at the same time, uh, the, the church has always encouraged some sort of sacrifice on Fridays throughout the year, not just during Lent. And the sacrifice could be works of charity, it could be almsgiving, it could be uh, fasting and, and, you know, from some sort of, I don't know, from TV or from cigarettes or from coffee or whatever, but it wasn't necessarily a day of abstinence in, in the sense of abstaining from meat, but you were expected to, to do something. And I think that, at least in lived experience, I kind of lost touch with that. I think a lot of people lost touch with that. And the, what the bishops have done uh, just a, a, a couple of months ago is to remind us that, no, really throughout the year, Fridays are days of sacrifice. I don't want to say abstinence in the sense of it has to be meat, but we're called to sacrifice something. Now, I will say this, that with this most recent statement, they are encouraging abstinence from meat throughout the year. So that is new. Again, it's not like a, an absolute requirement. It, it, it's it's a, a recommendation, an encouragement. But the require we are still required to sacrifice in some way on Fridays throughout the year. Very interesting being Catholic, isn't it? All these different um, things that we have to, to, to think about. But uh, why cabbage today? Why cabbage? You know, tis the season for cabbage. Uh, this is cabbage season. Cabbage is usually available from late fall through the winter, and it's abundant. It is abundant, and it is cheap, and it can be served as a side dish or as a main meal. 
uh, and that means that cabbage is an excellent choice for Fridays during Lent and uh, and beyond. <laughs> and you know what else? I, I can't help but think. I know that we're, we're not even really uh, into Lent yet. We're not uh, through Mardi Gras yet, but even talking about cabbage, I just can't um, I can't help but think about the St. Patrick's Day Parade. You know, St. Patrick's Day is coming up, and that's uh, about a month or so away, on March 17th. St. Patrick's Day is always during Lent around here, and uh, even though at that point in time all the Mardi Gras parades will be over, um, you know, that, that just doesn't stop us from throwing a party down here and from putting on parades, for goodness sakes. Um we spread the festivities over a couple of weekends, too, if, if the calendar works out that way. This year, I'm not sure, because I think that March 17th is actually a Sunday, so the big parades are going to be on the actual feast day of uh, St. Patrick. So we'll see. But, you know, New Orleans is like that. It, it's a city that loves to celebrate, and, and just about any reason for a party will do. Uh, because of the influence of the early Irish immigrants in New Orleans, you know, St. Patrick's hold, St. Patrick holds a very special place in the city's heart. As a matter of fact, my wife and I were married in St. Patrick's Catholic Church on Camp Street. Uh, beautiful, beautiful church. I got a link in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. You really ought to go check it out. This this is the church that, um, if I'm not mistaken, Cardinal Schonborn, who was instrumental in putting together the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, he, he made a comment that it's one of his favorite churches in the world, which I thought was pretty phenomenal. Matter of fact, in the city itself, the, that church is often referred to as the Second Cathedral, <laughs> next to uh, St. Louis Cathedral in downtown in the, in the French Quarter. It really is. It's truly stunning. Beautiful, beautiful church. Uh, but get this, you know, if you think that Mardi Gras parades in New Orleans are crazy, you know, like we throw bees and trinkets and even coconuts from the floats, then you're not going to believe what they throw from the St. Patrick's Day parades. <laughs> <laughs> From those floats, my goodness, they, they throw the beads and the trinkets, of course, but they also throw cabbage. <laughs> yes, cabbage and carrots and potatoes and lemons and garlic and, and tons of other produce. Uh, I have to tell you, it is fun, fun, fun. Last year, we came home from the parade with a crate of produce. And, uh, you know, we ate cabbage for weeks, I think. At, at least it seems that way. My children have often commented that they, um, because of the, the, the mere, uh, or the, I should say the sheer size of the St. Patrick's Day Parade, and some of the unique qualities, like the fact that they throw produce, <laughs> uh, the, the sheer size of it, I mean, it's like 150 floats, I think. They're not the big elaborate ones you see in downtown, you know, in New Orleans for, for Mardi Gras. These are more like truck floats where you, they're pulled by big 18-wheelers. But they're, they're decorated, and they're really nice, and there's lots of music and lots of, of fun. But you've got like 150 of them. This is a huge parade. It goes on for like three hours, four hours. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So my kids have often said that they the St. Patrick's Day Parade rivals the, the parades in New Orleans that we go to. And that, that says a lot, I think. So it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun, and I can't help but think about the St. Patrick's Day Parade as I talk about cabbage today. <laughs> but if you want to try a cabbage recipe with pop, a recipe with pizzazz, then try this one. You know, I used a uh, an Abita Giacomo for the IPA because this this particular recipe I wanted to use an IPA, which is a very hoppy beer. Uh, you can use whatever IPA you have on hand, but I I wanted to stay local and. Since Abita is right there basically in my backyard, I use the Abita Giacomo 
IPA, India Pale Ale, and uh, which has got a kick to it. I mean, it's really it's a, a very nice beer, um, and, and that very strong when it comes to the uh, to the hops. I also, in, in, in trying to keep this into it, you know, as a local dish, I used Zatarans, which is a, a local uh, company here, Creole mustard. And, uh, of course, you could use any kind of Creole mustard you can find or even a brown mustard if you don't have a Creole mustard on hand. Just something really uh, spicy and, and kind of uh, uh, tangy, right, is what you want. And uh, I, I have links. Matter of fact, I do have links in the show notes at uh, catholicfoodie.com for both the Abita Giacomo, if you want to learn more about that, and also the Zatarain's Creole Mustard. Those are, um, uh, you can learn more at catholicfoodie.com. And also the, the Zatarain's, I know for sure, is available uh, online at amazon.com. i got a link in the show notes if you want to check that out. So what do you need to make this cabbage? This is a very, I was impressed. I really was. I, this is for, I was playing around in the kitchen the first time I'd ever done cabbage this way. Normally I make it with like carrots and onions and I braise it in, uh, in the oven. And this time I did it on the stovetop with the beer and the Creole mustard. It was just a totally different thing, a random thing. And I, I was kind of uncertain as to whether or not my kids would even like it. And I was amazed. I mean, they, they loved it. They ate so much cabbage, it was kind of scary. <laughs> I was thinking, oh my goodness, boy, uh, your stomach's going to hurt later, you know. Uh, but they just loved it. It was very, very good. So this is what you need. You need three tablespoons of oil. Now, I used coconut oil uh, because the coconut oil... Uh, it's got a low smoke point, and uh, you know we'll hear more about this maybe as we get into Lent. Uh, but since this is a meatless thing, you know, I, I used coconut oil. You could use extra, not extra virgin, but just regular olive oil or some other kind of a, a, a of oil. I guess even canola would be okay. I don't like the taste of canola, so I prefer the coconut. But uh, if you were gonna go with meat and not without meat. You could even do bacon grease. Bacon would be great in this recipe. So anyway, this is what I went with. I went with three teaspoons of coconut oil, two large sweet yellow onions, thinly sliced, one 12-ounce IPA beer, and I used the Giacomo, as I said, some kosher salt, three tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, and I prefer the Bragg brand of uh, apple cider vinegar. That's the um, organic brand. It's B-R-A-G-G, Bragg. Uh, I used one large head of cabbage, and you could use two smaller if you have to. Uh, but you want what you want to do with that cabbage is, is quarter it, core it, and then thinly slice it. Uh, three tablespoons of Creole mustard, or to taste, okay, or to taste, because you're going to end up adding more. Uh, you'll see, you'll see. But just three tablespoons to start, and uh, you'll definitely want to have some extra on hand when you actually serve the cabbage because uh, you want to put a little dollop on top as you serve it. It's really, really good. Uh, one cup of green onions chopped and a half a cup of fresh cilantro chopped. And what you do is in a large Dutch oven or a, or a heavy-bottomed uh, stainless steel pot, uh, you want to heat that up over medium-high heat, put the coconut oil in there with the onions and a pinch of salt, and then cook it down until the onions are translucent, about five, six, seven minutes. Then you want to add the beer, the vinegar, the cabbage, another pinch of salt, cover that, and then cook it, stirring occasionally, until the cabbage is wilted. Now, that's going to take 10, 12 minutes or so, okay? Once the cabbage is wilted, you want to stir in the mustard and then adjust the seasoning as necessary. Feel free to add more of whatever. If you want to add more salt, vinegar, mustard, whatever it is to suit your taste, okay? And that's what it's all about when you're cooking savory cooking like this. It's really about your taste. So whatever it is to suit your taste, put it in there. 
Uh, and if you're really adventurous, you can add a dash or two of cayenne even. That's, that would be very good, some cayenne pepper. Remove it from the heat and then stir in the green onions and the cilantro. That's it. I mean, it really does not take that long. If you want to cook it down uh, more to where the, the cabbage is more tender, certainly you can absolutely do that. And that's it. Then you just want to serve and enjoy. Remember, when you serve it, you can always add a little extra green onion and cilantro on top if you like and, and perhaps uh, a little dollop of the, uh, the Creole mustard. And boy, I tell you what, this is some good eats, folks. Good eats. And, uh, you know, if you did want to make a non-meatless variation on, like, a, you know, non-Friday or something, you could also add some uh, bacon. You could chop some bacon and fry that first and use that as your, uh, your oil. And then just when, you, when you're ready to add the cabbage, just throw that bacon right back in. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? So tell me what, you know, if you do try this recipe, please do let me know. The recipe also is posted over at catholicfoodie.com. You'll find it there. You can print it out. You can save it. Use it for next year, too. But uh, stay tuned, because in just a moment, I'll be back with some voice feedback. You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. Hi, Jeff. This is Jessica from Carmel, Indiana, just north of Indianapolis. And we're actually on our way to a big family Catholic wedding in Louisville with half of my five kids. Um, my husband's at home with the other half doing a kid activity, and this is our life. But I'm catching up on a few episodes, and the chicken tortilla soup sounds great. I make my own stock a little different, um, and I wonder two things. If you leave the, your stove on all night to keep letting it simmer, and like when you go to work and all that kind of stuff, or do you just turn it off, let it sit, and turn it back on when, as soon as you get there? And then the other thing, too, when you put the marinade into your tortilla soup, um, do you ever worry about getting it, having that marinade be in there long enough to cook any of the bacteria that, since it cooks, it soaked with the raw chicken, if you put the marinade in earlier, would it have a little bit more time to make sure you kill off any offendees? So just um, put a few ideas out there, and I can't wait to hear your response. Thank you so much. Well, Jessica, thank you. That's fantastic. Thank you for calling in. And uh, two great questions, by the way. You know, the first one, uh, as far as how we uh, do the stock, I mean, we, the stock will cook on the stove for about uh, 24 hours. And, um, you know, we, we're, we're probably a little different than, than most folks. Um, I work out of the house, so I'm usually my office is right here, and I'm, I'm around and uh, we also homeschool, so we have a, a family of five that's that's here a lot. <laughs> and uh, so you do normally during the day we let it run. It's on the stove. It's on low. It's not uh, it's not going to burn up because it's a really big pot and it's not going to cook down that fast. Um, and and then overnight, same thing. I mean, when I'm leaving the pot on overnight, uh, I I just make sure that believe me, this is a, a huge pot uh, stock pot. And so there's no way that this is going to cook down overnight because I keep it literally on, on low, partially covered. So it does cook down, but it's not going to cook down all the way to where it's going to burn anything up. 
So that's, uh, that's I guess, the, the short answer. Uh, we typically don't turn it off, turn it back on, because there's not really a, a need for us to do that. Uh, for you, I don't know. It would depend. You know, I do know that some folks, what they do is they'll, they'll do a stock in a, um, in a crock pot. So it's constantly cooking, but it's more, and I guess in a, in a way it would be more safe as long as you have enough liquid in there. If you leave to go to work and you leave the, 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 the crock pot on, uh, that, that would be, you know, it's pretty safe. I know folks who, who do that. They'll prepare a meal in a crock pot. They have it all ready to go before they leave for work in the morning. They plug it in. They turn it on. They go. They come back to a cooked meal. So, uh, you know, it's really up to you. I, I know that personally we're not, we're not afraid of, of that just because of our situation. So uh, I don't know. I hope that helps. I certainly hope that helps. And as far as the second question goes, you know, um, I'm not really worried about it. I'm not really worried about the, uh, the bacteria in the, in the marinade. I mean, typically when I'm cooking with something like that, I, I just throw it all in. I just throw it all in. If it makes you feel comfortable, you can always, uh, you know, I, when I do a marinade, uh, when I marinate the chicken or if I'm cooking something like uh, fish and I'm, I'm marinating fish and, and um, I do it in a Ziploc bag or a, a resealable plastic bag in the fridge and it just makes it very easy to do. And uh, if you wanted to use that marinade in the soup uh, but give it some extra cook time, you can always just open that Ziploc up, pull the chicken out, dump the marinade in the, in the soup and let it cook extra time before you put the, uh, the, the, the meat in there. But again, I think that I'm strange when it comes to uh, <laughs> questions like this because those those types of things don't worry me as much as um, as I think you hear about in the general, I guess, media. You know, um, when I when I cook a soup um, at the end of the the night after we have had our meal, and typically we're eating late. We're eating at you know uh, eight o'clock, eight thirty, nine o'clock sometimes. Um, it's late and, and the food has been cooking and by the time everybody's ready to go to bed, that pot is still hot. I can't just take it and go stick it in the fridge. So there are many, many nights if I've made soup that I just leave it out overnight. I'll leave it on the stove overnight. It's of course it's hot when I'm leaving it there, but it's going to cool down overnight and I just stick it in the fridge in the morning when I wake up. I, I'm, I'm not really concerned about, um, I guess bacteria growing in that in that kind of way. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I hope this um, I hope this helps <laughs> helps to alleviate alleviate some some fear or concern at least. Uh, you know, and I think part of this too is you know um, I guess it was goodness a few months back I did a couple of episodes on Alton Brown and Good Eats when he did his last Good Eats episode and it was, it was kind of like a goodbye thing. Uh, in Alton, one of the episodes I talked about, we, we talked about eggs and, uh, and chickens. And, and Alton was, this one episode of Good Eats, he, he talked about uh, salmonella and how we have been uh, told, right? We've been told about the dangers of, of eating raw food and especially eggs. He's talking about eggs in this particular case and how... Um, you know, if you if you overcook eggs, which a lot of people are encouraged to do because of the fear of salmonella, then in his opinion, you're ruining the eggs because, like, eggs over easy, there's just nothing like it. And uh, the, the, what he brought out is the fact that eggs, salmonella isn't the problem, or the problem doesn't come from the eggs themselves. The problem comes from transportation and storage. You know, salmonella, the, the real problem with salmonella comes from the, the trucks and the travel and the 
we're we're moving food from place to place in a way that it's really not supposed to be done. We're, it's it's a man-made issue. We're the we're the cause of all the problems <laughs> when it comes to salmonella. It's not the chicken and it's not the egg. It's us. Um, and so you know, I buy my my eggs from a local farmer. I'm, I don't have to worry about the eggs sitting there for an extended period of time or sitting on a shelf somewhere in a store. You know that that they're, they're laid, and and a couple of days later, I've purchased them and I've I've got them in my fridge. You know, so I think some of this is um, I, I, we're kind of conditioned to worry about things like that. But again, I might just be a strange bird. I don't know. So I hope this is helpful. Let me know if it is. Please do. If you want to leave voice feedback for the Catholic Foodie, you can give me a call at 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974, or email me at jeff at catholicfoodie.com. Again, you can also go to the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com and leave a, uh, a comment there under this, uh, on this post. Smells good. Those uh, goodies in there. Granny, Granny Puckett, the goodie lady. My goodness, she makes some good goodies. She's got a thing. It's like a, uh, it's like a uh, cookies, shortbread, chocolate icing between. Very. It's good. Uh, it's very good. All right, we got some more uh, feedback here. Let's listen to what our friend Lynn has to say. Hello, Jeff. This is Lynn from Durham, North Carolina. I have a question about king cakes. I understand that the king cake is important for the Feast of the Epiphany because its name derives from the fact that you've got the three kings visiting the baby Jesus and presenting him with their gifts. But it makes me wonder, though, how the king cake became important for Mardi Gras. And so I was wondering if you could answer that question. Thanks a lot for all you do, Jeff. I really enjoy your show. God bless. Oh, well, thank you so much, Lynn, and God bless you too. Thanks for calling in. You know, that's an excellent question. That is an excellent question. We, we do not have, in New Orleans, we do not have the patent on Mardi Gras. And uh, when you think about it, you know, Mardi Gras is just one day, right? It's Fat Tuesday. That's what it means, Mardi Gras. But what we celebrate for months is what's called carnival season, right? Carnival season starts on uh, January 6th with the Feast of the Epiphany, the uh, big celebration of the Epiphany, which is where we get the term for the king cake, right? Uh, uh, That's where it comes from, and we're not the only culture that has that. You've got... King cakes in in France and also in in Spain that I know of. The let's see is the Rosca de Reyes I believe in in Spain and then also the French they have a couple of different versions a, a Galette de Roy and a Gâteau de Roy um, two different types of of king cakes in in France. But that, that's really just for that celebration right? That's the, the feast of the Epiphany King's Day we call it. But, uh, you know, there are several different cultures across the world. I'm thinking of the, the two in particular I know in, in Brazil and also here in, in um, the United States and in, in New Orleans and really uh, southern Louisiana. We celebrate what we call carnival season. For most of the world and most of the United States, it's ordinary time, right? You know, Christmas is over, Twelfth Night and all that, and then we go to ordinary time, and, and that's it until Lent. Well, not, not here. Uh, here we have... 
uh, carnival season, and it's it's a time where we just celebrate. And I think that's really where it comes from, you know. Uh, I've said this before, New Orleans, I said it in this episode, actually, uh, earlier on, New Orleans and, and South Louisiana is just, we love to celebrate. It's all about family, it's all about celebrations, uh, it's just kind of ingrained in our culture. If you look at the traditional uh, dishes that come from um, the, the Creole people and the, the Cajun people, so you've got those two uh, major cuisines here in South Louisiana, the, the Creole and the Cajun, all of those dishes, the original dishes, were all one-pot, big-pot dishes because it all it fed a family, a big family, right? Families were big. These were good Catholics, Creoles and, 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 and Cajuns. And so uh, everything was just big. So family, celebration, we just like it. We love it. And, and I said it earlier, too, almost like any reason for a, for a party, you know? So carnival season is a time a period of months where we just celebrate. And oftentimes, you know, it's just in little bitty ways. And the king cake just happens to be one of the ways that uh, that we celebrate this. You know, the com- commercialization of king cakes, the, the, the business of king cakes, really didn't come about until like the, the 70s or 80s when it really started to get moving. I mean, before that, I think it was in the 50s when you started to see them sold a lot like around this area. And they did. They weren't shipped out. They didn't really get start the the whole shipping them all over the world thing until the mid '80s, I believe. And it, that just happened. It was kind of a, a natural outgrowth of the the celebrations that we already had for Carnival, because the two weeks before Mardi Gras itself, we have parades. Those are big weekends. We've got parades on both weekends before the actual day of Fat Tuesday. And so I guess over time. We just we held on to these traditions. We held on to king cakes, and then eventually someone smart says, "You know, uh, we could like start making these things and shipping them all over the country because one of the the huge uh, industries here and in Louisiana for a long, long time, up until there was the seventies and eighties, they had an oil bust. Uh, but up to that time, it was all the refineries. We've got tons of refineries down here." And when that when that bust happened, and I'm really kind of fuzzy on my dates, but I think it was sometime in the late 70s, early 80s, what happened is you had a lot of people who just moved away, a lot of people from here who moved away chasing work, right? They needed to find a job. So you had an audience, really, of, of consumers who would want a king cake and who would want to order a king cake because now you've got a disbursement of 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 Louisiana folk living all over the place in the States. So I think that is kind of how it came about. There's some commercialization there. There's some business savvy there, you know, and it just kind of with uh, media attention and everything else kind of grew. So I don't know if that really answers your question fully, but that's, I, I think, kind of in a nutshell what has happened is over time, these um, traditions, which were very near and dear to our hearts and, and, and just part of our culture, have expanded with uh, with you know, media exposure as, as time has gone on. So anyway, thank you again so much for that question. I hope, I hope that, uh, answers your question. Please let me, uh, let me know if it does or doesn't. And, uh, you know, I have a recipe online over at catholicfoodie.com for king cake. If you want to make an authentic king cake, wherever, wherever you are to celebrate, uh, the, the, this weekend coming up, this big Mardi Gras weekend, including Toth and Bacchus on Sunday including uh, Orpheus 
on Monday, which is Lundi Gras, and then, of course, uh, Rex and Zulu in the morning on Fat Tuesday. Then uh, go to CatholicFoodie.com and, and just search for King Cake. You'll see it. Can't miss it. Big old beautiful King Cake right there. And uh, you can make it wherever you are. Well, thanks again, Lynn. I, I really appreciate your call. And again, uh, if you want to leave voice feedback for The Catholic Foodie, just give me a call, 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974. And uh, I think that's about it for this week, folks. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, I will talk to you. Goodness gracious, wait, you know, Lent's coming up, so I wonder if we can have another Mardi Gras episode before Lent hits. I, I, I don't know. We'll see. I'll try. But I'll see you soon, okay? So until next time, bon appétit.